Hello everyone and welcome to the ninth episode in the Ayumi podcast series. I am pleased to be joined today by Peregrine Stores Fox, a founding partner of the Cargo Integrity Group and Risk Management Director at the TT Club. Welcome Peregrine and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you, it's a pleasure to, to be talking with you. To begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role? Okay, well I've been in the TT Club for over three decades now, uh, which is um, quite a long time. I started out on on the legal side with a legal experience on uh, working with claims and worked claims for probably the best part of 20 years, which obviously gave me a lot of exposure to different issues around the world and then moved over to manage our loss prevention and risk management team and services to the membership. And I I guess for for me, that's a kind of dream ticket in terms of, you know, the TT Club as one of its core missions is to make the industry safer and more secure. And in my role, then that's fundamentally what I'm doing, looking across our our entire claims experience and risk exposure and working with industry partners, governments, other NGOs to try to bring about changes which will try to do just that, make the industry safer and more secure. Thank you. Thank you. And how did the Cargo Integrity Group come about? I guess it started actually as a a coalition of interest around the VGM requirements, the verified gross mass, which obviously became mandatory in 2016. But there was a a lead time from 2010 onwards when there were working committees of the IMO and the interest grouping from ITCA with TT Club as part of the Ichika delegation, working with World Shipping Council, Global Shippers Forum, COA, Containers Owners Association. So a number of interest groups as NGOs who realised that this was an important issue for the, the industry, the transport industry, but also that together we could tease out what was necessary, both in terms of formulating the regulation with IMO and obviously the the states that are members of IMO, but also specifically working to help the industry implement the requirements in practical ways and work out what was necessary. So that's where we started. And actually, we realised that it was quite an effective coalition drawing in the experience from sort of container operators with the cargo, the shippers, as well as insurers, and the the sort of liner industry as a whole to try to develop different issues. And one, of course, was the fact that cargo fundamentally isn't about the gross mass, but the risks that we see are around the packing of cargo. And alongside this, the CTU code was being developed by the the three UN organisations, IMO, ILO, and UNECE, and we were all participating in that as well. So it was a kind of drawing together and understanding that the risks are much greater in terms of cargo packing than they are pure weight, and therefore it was an opportunity to serve the entire supply chain by drawing together these interests and trying to tease out how the industry can develop alongside the sort of regulatory articulation, and it isn't actually regulation the CTU code, but an articulation of what good practice looks like needs to be implemented with people on a day-to-day basis. Thank you. Thank you. That's really interesting. And you've kind of already touched on this, but what is cargo integrity? And can you tell us more about the work of the group? Certainly. Well, cargo integrity is 
actually what it says on the tin. It's actually trying to ensure that there is integrity in the way that cargo is prepared, packed and transported through the supply chain to increase the, the level of certainty. And when I talk about certainty, I mean that things don't go wrong, that it arrives in good condition. So the buyer of that cargo is getting what they thought they were looking for, but also it has prevented risks to to everyone else involved in the supply chain and all aspects. So you know, moving cargo from one hemisphere to the other could well involve condensation, for example, or extreme heat, even extreme cold for that matter. Uh, so actually moving cargo is much more complex than just the, the sort of package that arrives through your door because it's come from somewhere else and needs to be protected in the right way. Uh, so our objectives as the Cargo Integrity Group are really to increase awareness of what good practice is, and that's fundamentally around the CTU code itself, the code of practice for packing cargo transport units, which is quite a mouthful, but is what it says. It is looking at what is good practice and who needs to be aware of that. And what we found as our individual organisations, as well as generally, is that there is very low awareness of what good practice is and how to ensure that it's followed through. So we've gone historically to conferences and other events to try to communicate that, and very few in the audience will be aware of anything in relation to the CTU code. So first and foremost, it's around awareness and improving, if you like, the take-up of the CTU code. But then also we're looking at where are the impediments to the CTU code operating successfully. And that's in part looking at other instances where cargoes have caused problems. So particularly around dangerous goods, one of the issues that has been highlighted now at IMO and is being worked on amongst the UN agencies around what's called special provisions in the dangerous goods regulations. Special provisions cover a range of issues, but the concerning ones are those that allow some derogation from the codes themselves. And there are levels of misunderstanding as to what that means in terms of does that cargo still need to be declared as dangerous, but with the caveat that it's less dangerous than the code itself says, or does it not need to be declared at all? And the code itself is unclear on that. And we are seeking to get that clarified to say those goods are still dangerous they still need to be declared as such with the caveat that they are less dangerous potentially than the full code says, which then gives the the carrier, whether by land or by sea, the option to take further action or investigate further to ensure that they are taking account of the hazards that are inherent in that particular commodity. So that's one aspect around looking at the sort of wider regulatory environment where things might go wrong. Third aspect is actually trying to see how how to improve the situation, a continuous improvement programme. And that specifically, I guess, is around the UN or IMO container inspection programme. There's been a circular in place for a number of years which requires states to, or requests states to carry out inspections. Very few are done, which is one problem. Second problem is actually that it isn't currently in alignment with the CTU code. So there's been a process somewhat disrupted by the pandemic, but a process to upgrade the existing circular and 
advice given to governments and also to try to make it possible for other entities who are doing inspections to record those for IMO purposes. Because the fundamental issue is that where inspections are carried out, each one is a potential learning as to what needs to be improved in a regulatory environment. And then the fourth aspect of what we're trying to look after is reaching out to the wider community. In that sense, there's both industry community, such as IMO itself, and others who have an interest in the way that cargo is being moved from a variety of perspectives, but also governments and UN agencies who may not primarily be involved in the movement of cargo, but have a related interest. And so in that regard, I think of World Customs Organization. They have a, a specific responsibility, but not necessarily aware of what we're seeing from a safety or general security, theft security perspective. Similarly, those involved in kind of more terrorism type prevention, uh, it's helping them understand and equally have some sort of interaction with them to understand what what is of concern to them. So there can be a more adult, if you like, dialogue between these different entities who have quite distinct interests but there are overlaps and read across in our experience or the, the transport industry experience with these other agencies. Thank you. Thank you. And and that kind of leads very nicely to up to my next question, where it's how does the um, Cargo Integrity Group engage with other stakeholders in the industry? Well, obviously, COVID has disrupted all sorts of things there. As Ayumi will be aware, we had a stakeholder event last September, where we invited a number of people to hear us present and launch our quick guide to the CTU code and the checklist for container packing. And since then, we've done a number of updates, mostly actually by email communication, because you know, the, the physical environment is not possible. So email and a few webinars to try to continue communicating and create an interaction between different entities with interest. So one of the last uh, communications was around uh, what we call cargoes of concern and asking for awareness really of the different publications that are already out there in the shipper community or the carrier community to help understand how cargo can be carried in a better way. And obviously, Ayumi and its member organisations have been actively involved for years in producing such material. So it's trying to gather that together and understand what is out there and where the gaps may be in terms of those cargoes of concern. And cargoes of concern we categorised in three different ways that try to identify the specific risks that we've seen. So particularly around dangerous goods, right way through to things that we wouldn't normally think of as dangerous, so blocks of marble or timber that actually do present heightened hazards to a variety of people through the supply chain. So that's an interaction with the stakeholders, and the stakeholders are across the sort of NGO world, if you like, so including insurers, but also those who are moving specific cargoes or having interest in specific types of cargoes and main shipping organisations as well to try to get a a broad spectrum of engagement, which is fundamentally what this is about. It's trying to say, you know, we we can't do this alone. And individually, we, we may have initiatives, but actually, collectively, we can materially change the risk environment for all of us. 
Thank you. Thank you. Why is cargo integrity important and for whom? It's fundamentally important to ensure that there is certainty of outcome across the supply chain. So that for cargo interests, they want to ensure that the transaction, the sale transaction is successful because the cargo gets to the other end in good condition. It's important, obviously, for everyone who's involved in moving that cargo to keep safe. And obviously, we're recording this uh, while the Express Pearl is coming to the end of a horrendous burnout. And so there are a variety of risks that arise that need to be dealt with in a safe way. So cargo does get from end to end in a good condition without causing causing hazard or increased hazard to those involved, as well as actually identifying where there are weaknesses in security. So theft is a major issue through the industry. And obviously, as an insurer, we see that quite a lot, as will IUMI members as well. And then, of course, there's the responsibility for the environment. So the way that stuff is moved, whether you're talking about CO2 emissions, which is a a major debate, or the the sort of release of plastic pellets into the sea and the damage that does to the, the environment in that sense, or indeed pollution from a ship that's on fire. So a wide range of interest. And therefore, for whom it is, it's actually obviously for insurers, it's for all stakeholders in the actual movement of cargo, it's for producers, receivers, governments, and ultimately for the entire population of the globe. Thank you, thank you. And can you tell us a little bit more about the CTU code? Certainly, it's obviously in sort of substance got a very long history, so it goes back to probably the mid-70s when there was a recognition that the way that cargo was packed in CTUs, and this does involve both road and rail cars or rail transport as well as containers, although a lot of interest is around containers inevitably. But it, it's looking at how things can be packed and what are the different elements that need to be highlighted to ensure that it is correctly packed, packaged, secured, and all the rest of it. So Obviously, regulations will demand some, or regulations and trade will demand some things around packaging, for example. So there are conditions there. The the way that cargo is then packed in a particular unit needs to take account of the different modes of transport. There are different forces that may be involved for road transport, for rail transport and sea transport. So a, a typical CTU, and particularly in the intermodal regime, will actually involve all of those. And therefore, there needs to be an awareness of a packing point as to what is required to ensure that the cargo is successfully carried all the way through the transport chain. So the CTU code is picking up what good practice looks like and who needs to be aware of what. So there's a lot of information around the the different actors involved and their responsibilities, what they need to take account of to ensure that things are done successfully, how to communicate successfully with each other so that the information flows well. So there the are a whole range of issues covered within the CTU code, and it's quite a formidable framework document. And that's partly why we felt it's important to put together the quick guide, which is trying to help people unpick that and then know which part of the, the code is relevant for them in any particular responsibility. One of our concerns around the CTU code is 
around enforcement and the control mechanisms. So inevitably, the different players will have their own controls that they put in place to ensure that things are as they expect them to be and perform in their environment in the way that they want them to be. But there's much broader concern around how do you ensure that things are then followed through. And that comes back to the point around the IMO inspection program, that it's important to have that feedback loop that says, actually, what is really happening is good or less good. And this is what we can do about it to bring about improvement. So the CQ code is a broad document that brings frameworks around how things should be done. Thank you. Thank you. And what is the biggest challenge in relation to the CTU code? Well, apart from pure awareness amongst the the totality of the uh, transport and cargo community, I think that obviously the code itself is non-mandatory and therefore some people will view it as, well, it's just some vague advice. I don't need to take take account of it. I'd say that people do need to take account of it because in many jurisdictions, it will be adopted within a sort of health and safety legislation environment to say, where there's good practice, you need to comply. And the CTU code fundamentally is a statement of good practice. Therefore, I'd be saying everyone needs to be aware of it. Everyone needs to take action to comply. I think there are much more specifics and particularly at this time in sort of the development of things globally. And that that will be specifically around the pest contamination issue. That is something that many governments and FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, are concerned about the fact that pests of variety can hitch rides in particularly the intermodal environment and move from one jurisdiction to another. And the transport industry itself needs to be taking account of that, sitting up and taking further action, but all stakeholders around the edges of the industry, and that would include insurers, need to be participating in ensuring that their customers, the people with whom they have interaction, are aware of these risks and are themselves taking responsibility for their specific aspects. So a packer needs to take responsibility of how they're packing the environment. Are they packing at night, which with lights could attract moths and butterflies? Or are they particularly close to vegetation or a a muddy environment, which may again pick up things and be packed in the the cargo? The cargo itself needs to be clear of contamination. So that needs to be taken account of. The, the, The dunnage that is used needs to be compliant with the IPPC regulation. So there are a variety of issues around pests at the packing point in particular, but also all the way through the supply chain. So a road carrier needs to be aware of where they're traveling and the potential to pick up further dirt or whatever onto the unit. A terminal needs to be aware of what the risks might be. And obviously the ship operator needs to take account of that, where are the cargo coming from? And that's in itself links to the time of year that's concerned. So obviously different moths or whatever are going to be breeding at different times of year. The eggs will attach at different times of year. So it's a broad awareness of the risks of pest contamination and each person stepping up to take responsibility that is accounting for the the nature of the cargo, the space 
where the cargo is being packed, the time of year, and the potential for movement. And of course, it, it is a big issue from a societal point of view because crops may fail if the, the wrong bug is introduced into that environment. And it, it's just crops, it could be trees and in different jurisdictions, certain trees have been attacked because of invasive pests from elsewhere. And that has implications. I mean, in, in the US, for example, baseball bats have been affected because the tree that is used for baseball bats has been attacked by invasive pests that have been introduced from elsewhere. And that's just a very simple example, but it could be crops, it could be other issues that are impacting society. Wow, that's very interesting. Thank you. Well, this brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you once again, Peregrine, for your time today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much.